Turn, if you would, this morning to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are thankful for this day. We're thankful, Lord, for who uh, is able to make it this morning. We're thankful, Lord, for the time that we've enjoyed singing and uh, reflecting on you. We're thankful, Lord, for the special that we just heard and the reminder of heaven and how wonderful of a place it must be. God, I do pray that you'd bless now the effort to preach your word, that you'd use it, God, to be a help and an encouragement to us. Uh, however we may need it today, I pray that it would uh, be used in our lives. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I think most of you know that two weeks ago we began this new series that I have entitled, Who is God? And the primary reason for this study, uh, the, the reason that I felt most led to do this study, as I've mentioned the last couple of weeks, is because we are living in a day and we are living in a time where people seem to have no understanding of who God really is. They have their own version or they have the culture's version of what they believe God to be. And so I think it is good for you and I to understand who God is according to the Scripture and not according to what maybe our thinking has been influenced by. And so two weeks ago we began in Genesis chapter 1 and we watched as the Scripture declared that God is our Creator. That is who God is. He is our Creator. And as a result of being our Creator, we belong to Him. As a result of belonging to him, he then is the one who has control and authority and is allowed to exercise that authority in our lives. And whenever you and I recognize his authority and we yield to that and we submit to that, our lives are going to be so much better. But when we rebel against the authority of God, that is when we have turmoil, that is when we have strife and we have conflict and we have a lack of peace and contentment. So we have to recognize that God is our creator. Then last week, we were in Malachi chapter 3, and we watched as God said of himself that he changes not. So who is God? He is an unchanging God. What he was yesterday is who he is today, and who he is today is who he will be tomorrow. I said that God is not in a state of limbo. He is not in a state of uncertainty trying to figure out who he is and what position he takes. He is certainly not trying to appeal to the masses or be popular in our culture. What God is is what he has always been and what he will always be. And I just want to say this again in light of the message last week. In light of the context of Malachi, what we had was this, is we had people who were changing what God said and they were su supposing that if they changed what God said, it would somehow be right. They were calling evil good. And again, we live in a culture when we live in a day where so many people understand what God's Word says, but they don't like it, so they have changed it, and they assume that by them changing the Word of God, that somehow that changes who God is. And we cannot get away from this truth, that no matter what position anyone holds, if it is not in line with the Word of God, God is right and man is wrong, and there is no need to discuss it past that. So the culture may change, the culture may shift, the culture may adopt things that it used to not adopt. It may do a lot of things, but just because culture and man changes the idea of what is right and wrong, it does not change with God. It's very important that we understand who God is. 
This morning we're going to continue, and as we do, I'm going to begin by making a statement that I would imagine I have touched on in the past. I don't mind, as I've said before, admitting this in a very general and vague fashion. It's whenever I begin to get specific about what I'm about to say that I don't like talking about it. So what is it that is true of me that I don't mind admitting so long as we don't get specific? Well, that would be this. I am a flawed individual. I know this shocks you, but I am not perfect. I am a flawed individual, and you are a flawed individual. You individually, you singularly, you are a flawed individual. You're not flawed because of who you married. You're not flawed because who your parents are or who your children are. You are flawed. And I am flawed. As that is so, you understand that that affects every area of our lives, right? We're not perfect in any one area of life. And so, for the purpose of this illustration and where the message is headed, I would go ahead and say this, that as much as it pains me to admit this, I have to admit this morning that I am not a perfect parent. I make mistakes with the kids. I have made many mistakes with the kids. I would imagine that so long as the children are in the home, I will continue to make mistakes with them because of my flaws, because of my imperfections, because of my fallen sinful nature. I will never be the perfect parent to my children. That being said, I can also say this with great certainty that there is no one in this world except Susie who loves my children as much as I do. And I would hope that that would be true of you in relation to your children. That though you are a flawed individual, that though you are a flawed parent, you would be able to say this of yourself, that you love your children more than anyone else in the world. So that being said, here I am as a, as a father, I am flawed, I have made many mistakes, and I'm sure many mistakes lie in my future, but I love them immensely, and I love them more than they can begin to understand, and because of my love for them, as carefully as I know to make this statement, here is what I would like to say. I will see to it that whatever needs they have, I will meet them. So long as they are in my house, so long as they are under my roof, so long as I have some control and and I have some input in their lives, here's what I will do because I love them. I will see to it that every need they have is met. I think my children by now understand I've never said I will make sure every want they have is met. But if God allows, I will do whatever it takes to meet their needs. Now that being said, I would also say this with some measure of reservation because I know how it could get twisted and distorted a little bit by some who, if they chose to, could do it. But I would say this in relation to my desires and, for lack of better words, my promise to meet their needs, I would say this, that that is somewhat contingent upon their behavior. 
You understand this, right? If my kids choose to live in rebellion, if my kids choose to disobey and they choose to be defiant and they choose to to go another route for their lives and they say, we can do better on our own and we don't need you, Dad, that's whenever I am more than happy to step back and say, okay, kids, if you can do better without me, feel free. But so long as there's an effort on their part to live in obedience to whatever rules and guidelines we may have at our house, then it will be my desire and it will be my intention and it will be my, my promise to them that I will meet whatever needs they have. Now that in mind this morning as we're in the book of Genesis, I want us to consider some stories that maybe you're familiar with, maybe you're not, but it's in Genesis chapter 11 that we are introduced to Abram and Sarai, whose names will later be changed to Abraham and Sarah. It is Abraham and Sarah, as most of us know, that God will choose and that God will select to be the father of the nation of Israel. So from Abraham and from Sarah, what comes from them by way of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, that will be those who make up the nation of Israel. Now, as wonderful as that declaration by God was, as wonderful of a thought as that must have been for Abraham and Sarah, Here's what we know, if we know the story very well at all, that there was one small problem with the promise that God gave. Abraham and Sarah had no children. So it's hard to be the father of a nation when you yourselves are childless. So here's Abraham and here is Sarah, and they have received from God this word that he will be the father of the nation of Israel. That sounds wonderful. It sounds fantastic. But for whatever reasons up to this point, God had closed the womb of Sarah, and she had never been able to, she had never been able to conceive. And so you can understand where there would be this conflict of thought and these conflict of feelings. What is going on with God's promise in relation to our circumstances, to our current situation. So as you move on in the scripture, you find in Genesis chapter 21 that God opens the womb of Sarah and she's able to have her first child at the age of 90. It's an amazing story, but I want us to think about this. If you've ever known someone, let's listen now, if you've ever known someone who was not able to have children ever in their lives, and in the later years of life, God allowed them to have a child, it's more special than those who were able to have children, really, at any given time, whenever they decided we wanted to add one to the brood, so to speak. You understand this, right? So if you've ever known someone who was unable to have children, uh, you, you know, forever, and, and then all of a sudden, later in life, God blessed them with a child, you know that it was an amazing thing. You know that it was a very special thing, maybe more so than the ones who had no problems in that area of life. So here's Abraham, and here is Sarah, and they've got their first child, and we can only imagine the excitement they must have had seeing Isaac in their arms as their only child together. So as the child grows and as the child develops, we come to chapter 22. In chapter 22 of Genesis, here's what we find in relation to the scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, that God was going to test Abraham. And what God was going to test was this, is whether or not Abraham loved God or Isaac more. 
Do you fear me, God is going to see, more than you love Isaac, or is your love for Isaac greater than your fear of me? And someone may say, well, I don't think that's a fair test. Well, to that, I would say you need to take that up with God. He's the one who established the test. He's the one who established the boundaries of the test. And apparently it was fair and it was appropriate or God would not have done that. So notice what it says in verse number 22 or verse number 1 of chapter 22. It says this, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he, that being Abraham, said, Behold, here I am. So here is where the testing is going to begin. It says in verse number 2, And he, that being a reference to God, said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. So in verse number 2, what are, what are we reminded of? We are reminded of this that Abraham and Sarah had one son and one son only. His name was Isaac, and the command by God was this, Take him to the land of Moriah, to the place that I will show you, and there I want you to offer your son as a burnt offering. Now, friends, you and I cannot begin to imagine what this test must have felt like. Uh, don't I mean, let's not pretend, oh yeah, we can... We face that all the time. We can't begin to imagine what this test would have felt like, right? To have this presented to us, you will take your only son and you're going to offer him as a burnt sacrifice, as a burnt offering. I understand that in the scripture, that the, the, the scripture of Hebrews, it records that Abraham believed that God would raise him from the dead. But I don't care who we are. I don't care how godly we are. We don't care, or I don't care how spiritual we think we are. We would not hear such a command and think it to be a light command. So here is Abraham receiving this command from the Lord, and it says in verse number 3, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. So what does it say in verse number 3? Again, what many of us are familiar with, that on the next morning, early in that morning, Abraham began going to the place that God would one day show him very soon where this offering would take place. Verse number four, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. So as you continue down through the scripture, you see how things began to unfold. You began to see how things are taking place. And it says in verse number nine, it says, and they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. So where is Isaac now? He's on top of this altar that his father Abraham has made. He is bound, and it says in verse number 10, And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So as many of us have been taught over the years, and I believe to be accurate, the picture that is painted in the scripture is this, is that we've got the altar built, we've got Isaac on top of that altar who has been bound by his father, and Abraham has the knife in his hand, his hand is raised, and he is about to bring the knife into the body somewhere in the cavity or the chest area of Isaac, and he is going to take his son's life. But in verse number 11, what does it say? It said this, 
And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. Verse number 12, And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. So in verse number 13, this is where the message begins to take shape. It says in verse number 13 that Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And then in verse number 14, it says, And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. So in this moment and in this situation and in this circumstance, with all of these different moving parts, so to speak, Here is what happens when the angel stops Abraham. Abraham looks up and he sees a ram caught in a thicket. It is the ram then that will be used in this burnt offering or this burnt sacrifice. And Abraham said of that place, Jehovah Jireh. Well, what is Jehovah a reference to? Well, it's a reference to God, is it not? We understand this. It is a reference to God. And so this Jehovah Jireh, what does it mean? Well, many of us understand what it means. It means this, to be the provider, but it also means this, to be the one who will see to it. The one who will see to it. So here is what Abraham declared of God, that he is the provider, that he is the one who will see to it. So if you and I could have gone to Abraham, if you and I could go back to where he was in that moment, in that situation, with everything that had taken place, and we had said to Abraham for just a moment, who is God? You know what Abraham would have said? He is the provider. Who is God? He is the one who sees to it. He is the one who sees to it that the need for the moment will be met. Who is God? He's my provider. Who sees to it that what I needed in this situation was made available to me. Now, as Abraham declared God to be Jehovah-Jireh, the provider, the one who sees to it, I think we need to be careful to not miss this truth. That Abraham was introduced to God as the provider in his act of obedience to God's will for his life. You understand this, don't you? Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the land of Moriah, to the land that I'll show you, to the place that I'll show you. And when you're there, I want you to offer your son, your only son, Isaac. This is what I want you to do. I want you to present him unto me as a burnt offering, as a burnt sacrifice. It was in the midst of Abraham's obedience 
and submission to God's will for his life, as difficult as it would have been, that Abraham recognized truly God sees to it that he provides, and God sees to it that he takes care of my needs. It was in the act of obedience he began to learn a little bit more of who God is. God is my provider. Now, I like that. And I like that in connection and in relation to what we dealt with last week. See, remember last week I said that God is unchanging, and that is important for so many reasons, right? Because, see, in Genesis chapter 22, what we have is God's dealings with Abraham, and yet by the time you get to the end of Scripture, what has happened? Thousands of years have passed. By the time you get from Genesis chapter 22, say even to the New Testament, a couple of thousand, if not several thousand years have passed. And I find this interesting if you turn over to Matthew this morning. You say, do I need to turn there? It probably would help. So turn over to Matthew for just a moment. Another familiar portion of Scripture to many of us, but I want us to see this just because it reflects the unchanging nature of who God is. In Matthew chapter 6, what do we have? We have Christ who is God. Come on. Christ who is God speaking to his disciples. And what is Christ addressing? He was addressing the earthly needs of his disciples. There was an awareness on the part of Christ that the disciples living upon this earth would have needs of different sorts and of different natures, right? Are we hearing this? Let's find a seat, buddy, okay? Let's find a seat. Okay, well, it'll be that way, okay? <laughs> All right. Here is Christ, and he recognizes that the disciples have needs. Well, what kind of needs? Well, they would have monetary needs. They would have sheltering needs. They would have needs of clothing. They would have needs of raiment. They would have all these different things. And notice at the end of verse number 33 what Christ declared. He said, And all these things shall be added unto you. So what is that? That's a promise by Christ, by God, to his disciples that all of these things shall be added unto you. Your food will be provided, your shelter will be provided, your raiment will be provided, everything you need, it will be provided. Contingent upon what? Obedience. See, in verse number 33, Christ said this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. See, before we get to the, and all these things shall be added unto you, what Christ said was required of this, 
is you've got to seek the kingdom of God and you've got to seek His righteousness. You must make God priority in your life. God must be the thing that you look for and you seek after and you desire more than anything else before you get to enjoy the promise of my provision and me seeing to it that you'll have everything you need. You must do your part in living in obedience to me. So it could almost be said like this, that, listen, individuals, if you want to go pursue your own thing, if, if serving the Lord is too hard, if serving the Lord is too difficult, and, and you can do better someplace else in some other way, feel free to try. But without obedience, there's no promise of supernatural provision on the part of God for the life of a disciple. Now, see, that was said some 2,000 years ago. It's important that we understand God is unchanging. That who God was yesterday is who He is today and who He will be tomorrow. It's important because it reminds us that who God was 2,000 years ago and who God was four or 5,000 years ago is who He is today. So what does that mean for me and what does that mean for you? It means this, that if somebody were to come to us and say, who is this God that you serve? In addition to saying, well, He is my Creator or He is an unchanging God, we could say this, Jehovah is also my Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. He is the one who will see to it that I have everything I need. And here's what I love about the Scripture. That promise is not just given to a select few. That promise is given to anyone and everyone who walks upon this earth. So see, you sit here this morning and you say, okay, well, who is God? Maybe you don't say it, but, but for some who may say, well, who is God? Or the world might ask us, who is God? You know what we can boldly proclaim of the God that we serve? We can boldly proclaim, He is my provider. He will see to it that I have everything I need. I don't have to worry whether or not I'll ever go hungry. Did we hear that? I don't have to worry about starving to death. I don't have to worry about going without. I don't have to worry about missing something that I or my family needs. Why? Because God is my provider. Now, the same truth applies to me and to you as would to our children. God made clear He would provide our needs. And we need to be reminded of this. He never said, I'll provide everything you want. I know we know that, and I know we say amen to that. But let's be honest, sometimes we do expect God to provide everything we want in addition to what we need. And we need to be reminded, he never said, listen, I, I'm here just to give you everything you want and everything you long for. But what he did say of himself is this, is I will meet every need you have. He did not say, and we need to be reminded of this, that I will meet every need the way you want them met. 
but your needs will be met. Well, Lord, I like ribeye. I'm sure you do. Here's ground beef. Well, Lord, you don't understand. This is what I like to drive. I understand, but this is what you can afford. Lord, you you don't understand. This is where I'd like to live. I understand. I just said I'd give you shelter. I didn't tell you it'd be in the zip code that you wanted necessarily. See, we've got to be reminded of who God is. He is a God who has promised to meet our needs. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. But He never said you get all of your wants. And then we have got to be reminded of this. As it was true in Matthew chapter 6, in Genesis chapter 22, it is also true of you and I that the only way in which we will know the supernatural provision of God is when we live in obedience to His will for our lives. Whenever I seek Him first, His kingdom and His righteousness, whenever I am living in submission to His will and His plan for my life, that is when the promise takes effect in my life. So, Lord, I have a need. I don't even have to worry about it past that. If I am seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. Lord, I have a need of finances right here. The Lord said already He would meet those needs provided this is true of us. Lord, I have a need for some grace right now. That need will be met when it needs to be met, provided you are living as you are supposed to be living. Lord, I need this. My family needs this. The wife and I, we need this. God, the children need this. We don't have to worry about it. God's already declared it will be met. I'll see to it. Provided. Provided. I or you that we're doing our part. And so this morning, it's good for me to be reminded. Maybe it's good for you to be reminded as well. But it's good for me to be reminded that God will provide everything I need. And so this morning, I want to just pause here and and ask you a question. Is there anything in your life right now that you would say you believe to be a true need? I don't know if it would be financial. I don't know if it would be physical. I don't know if it would be emotional. I don't know if it would be spiritual. I don't know if it would have to deal with a relationship. I don't know what it might be. But is there anything in your life that you would say, that is a genuine, legitimate need in my life? Well, if so, can I remind you of who God is? He's the provider. And He will meet that need. Whatever it is. You don't have to sit here this morning and worry about it. You don't have to sit here this morning and be discouraged because it hasn't happened yet. You don't need to sit here this morning and question whether or not God is faithful to His Word. No, He is an unchanging God. He will meet that need. You can be sure of it. If you can say today, God, 
You know that in the honesty of my heart, in the sincerity of my heart, Lord, you know that I'm trying to walk with you. You know that I'm trying to live in obedience to you. God, you know that I'm, I'm making priority this relationship that I have with you. And God, I'm seeking to, to do what is right in your sight. If we can sit here this morning and make the declaration that we're striving to do what is right, then we don't have anything to fear. We don't have anything to be concerned with. We can know God will provide because that is who God is. He is the providing Heavenly Father who will make sure we have everything we need. But if you have a need here this morning, whatever it may be, and you cannot say with honesty and sincerity that you're seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness, essentially you know what we've done, right? We've been the rebellious child who says, well, I've got a better idea. I've got a better plan. I've got a better method. I've got a better take on this. I've got another way in which I can approach this. You know what is true if we're living in rebellion? The Lord is more more than content to step back and say, well, if you've got a better way, figure it out. I'm not obligated to provide for the one who doesn't want to yield to me. I'm not obligated to make sure that everything is met for the one who has decided they don't need me. No, if we're living in rebellion, we need to be worried and we probably ought to be concerned that the needs will not be met. But where there is obedience, where there is submission, where there is yielding, even when it is extremely difficult, as was the case for Abraham, you know what will provide, what will recognize and and what we'll learn of God, we'll learn and we'll recognize God has always been and will always be my provider. He will always be my Jehovah Jireh. Who is God? He's my provider. Who is God? He's your provider. How can we trust him? How can we have confidence in him? Because unlike you and I, he's not flawed. He'll give us exactly what we need, exactly when we need it, in the exact fashion in which we need it, and we don't have to worry about it for a moment, provided you and I are living in obedience. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this morning. I pray that you would help us to take courage and and strengthen the fact that Abraham knew you as Jehovah Jireh, that we too today can know you as Jehovah Jireh, provided we live in obedience. And Lord, if there are some who need to be encouraged today, I pray that you would encourage them. If there are some today who need to be challenged, I pray that they'd be challenged. God, I pray that you'd help us to yield to you no matter what, so that we can know you in the way that we would like. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.